This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. You should do the respectable thing, do the ethical thing, do the professional thing. Take it, acknowledge it, and say, you know what, I failed the public in my role. It's time for me to step down. All right, welcome to this hour of the program. Afternoons on News Talk 770. Rob Breckenridge with you. Our final hour here today, 974-8255 is our number, 974-TALK. That was the voice of Jessica Degg, one of the uh, protesters yesterday, herself a sexual assault survivor, at the uh, hearing, though, of Justice Robin Camp. Uh, This was the final day of that hearing today, and uh, Justice Camp himself took the stand to give his explanation as to why he ruled the way he did, why he said the things he did in 2014 in this sexual assault case, where he acquitted the accused and then wondered why the victim couldn't keep her knees together, among other things. Now, the Canadian Judicial Council is reviewing whether he should remain a judge. He was a judge here in Alberta at the time, is now a federal court judge. And it's pretty rare to have a judge removed from the bench in this country, is his conduct and behavior at that level it was a remorseful robin camp on the stand today expressing his regret for how this was handled talking about what he's learned since then and what he knew before then about sexual assault law in canada and to an outsider it's it's unfathomable that a judge someone who sits on the bench in this country would not understand the law That's been one of the shocking things to come out of the hearing this week. But somebody who's been paying close attention to this story who's there today joins us on the line. Christy Blatchford is a reporter for the National Post, Post Media, uh, more at nationalpost.com. Christy, thanks for your time here. Yeah, no worries. Thank you, Rob. What did you make of it today? I think everyone was waiting to hear from from Robin Camp. Uh, Did did he impress you at all? Well, he impressed me, I suppose. Well, I don't know. Uh, To be honest, I don't know quite what to make of it. You know, we knew he was deeply sorry already because he's apologized several times officially. He apologized more today. He uh, apologized specifically to the young woman uh, who was a complainant in the original trial. Uh, mm-hmm. He apologized to his colleagues on the bench and the judiciary, and he apologized to the Crown Attorney in that original trial, and he apologized to his family. So, I mean, that's not new. He's sorry. Of course he's sorry. Quite frankly, in the criminal courts, everybody is sorry when they get caught. Uh, And um, I suppose what I find most interesting about all of this is what you just mentioned, which is the fact that when he became a provincial court judge in 2012, he had, as he said today, absolutely no criminal law experience in Canada. A little bit back in his native South Africa, but not in Canada. Here he was... uh, you know, a a construction something lawyer uh, specializing in other things. He was a commercial lawyer. In other words, he was never on his feet in the courtroom. He he wasn't that kind of lawyer. He's appointed. They put him right away on the criminal side, and which is should raise serious questions about the people who appointed him. Because if you're going to appoint somebody to the criminal bar or to the criminal side of the law, which is very different from every other side, then you better make sure that they either have the requisite knowledge and experience or that they are prepared to uh, acquire it very quickly. Uh, But really, none of that happened. He 
began hearing trials pretty quickly. He went to a couple of courses. He, you know, he's, he's acknowledged that he didn't know sexual, he thought he knew sexual assault law. What he did was read the criminal code and the commentary in the criminal code and some leading cases and figured because, you know, he's not untypical for lawyers. Lawyers always think they're the smartest people in the room. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he thought that that meant he knew it and he could move along. And so he did. And he got himself in this tremendous boiling water that he's right. in now. Now, I, I guess the, maybe it's it's two questions regarding that, that ruling is whether he would have ruled as he ruled and then whether he would have said what he said. You know, as others have noted, and you noted it too, I mean, it was a, it was a difficult case to begin with. It really was a sort of he said, she said kind of case. Uh, and he was trying yeah. to determine whether there was consent or whether there was enough evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that this was rape. No, I quite agree. I think there's, you know, the, this thing, like every story, is filled with nuance that you can't capture and, you know, even in a fairly lengthy discussion. Um, and it may well be that he got the law per se right. That is, that he didn't... Uh, he didn't screw up. He may even have reached the right conclusion. It was a hot mess of a trial. I mean, it was a typical sexual assault trial in that it was a he said, she said thing with the added complication that this time there were two independent witnesses um, who said that they had seen the alleged victim and the alleged attacker right after the alleged assault or whatever it was and that they seemed amenable and they were, you know, being affectionate with one another. And the judge had great difficulty uh, reconciling that evidence, I think, with his, um, you know, rapeness infected thinking, as he admits it was, which holds that, you know, women who are raped are hysterical and they, they don't show affection afterwards and all of mm. that. So it's it's very complicated. He certainly may end up uh, to to be demonstrated to have got the right result, but he certainly got there in a very awkward, insulting and and sexist way, which he all of which he admits. And he says, "Yeah, I was, I didn't know what I didn't know, you know. But now I know what I didn't know, and now I should go back and get my job again." Right, because if if another judge, and apparently this the the accused in this rape case is going to get a new trial, if if he's acquitted again by a different judge, that doesn't necessarily vindicate Robin Camp. No, it doesn't, uh, and it, it doesn't uh, prove that he was wrong if the young man were to be convicted. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a very difficult trial. It's slated for November, and, uh, you know, five years will have passed since the alleged uh, sexual assault occurred, uh, and everybody at that time admits to, or most of the participants admit to, having been drunk or stoned one way or another. So, I mean, how good are their memories going to be now? That's a good question. Now, yesterday was interesting, uh, as, as you described it. Here you had a judge with a specialty in gender equity, a feminist law professor, and a psychologist with expertise in trauma and sexual violence. And they all spoke on Robin Camp's behalf. How, how significant was that? I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Uh, I mean, it was it was important, certainly. They're all you know, they're leading lights on matters of gender equity and uh, social uh, context education, which means, you know, learning about the culture in which you live. Um, and the psychologist is an expert in trauma and treats victims of sexual violence and teaches judges about it. So it's, it's not without its weight that they all came 
to say that they didn't come to say that they excuse what Robin Camp said in this trial, but rather that, you know, he didn't know what he didn't know. And now that he knows what he knows, he really knows it well. And he's a really enthusiastic student. And he was able to, you know, ask himself questions, the hard questions and look himself in the mirror and, and change his way of thinking. And it's all tremendously lovely uh, in that sense uh, and probably significant. But, you know, uh, I don't know. What, what's it mean? Uh, does it mean that I think the truth is he should never have been appointed to sit on the criminal side of the, the provincial court? Um, I think this case illustrates most importantly the flaws in the judge picking process that exists across the country. Um, and, um, you know, is he able, he hears different kinds of cases at the federal court. They don't deal with, you know, sex assault trials and the like, but they do deal with a lot of immigration or refugee cases. And some of those cases involve matters where women have been, you know, subjected to sexual violence and are fleeing their native country for that reason. So it's, it's not unimaginable that people appearing before him should he continue, might have reservations about his ability to hear them fairly. Well, but that, and that's a big issue, though, isn't it? Right, because sure. you're, you're talking about the, the credibility of any case that comes before him if he remains a judge. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it's true. I mean, that's that's the problem with getting yourself into this kind of trouble in the first place, you know? Mm-hmm. Regarding the, the transparency of all of this, now this is all being done in public, obviously. The media is there covering this. We're, we're not able to to televise this. There's no way I could play for my audience what Rob, anything Robin Camp said on the stand today, even though we you can describe it. You can't do that with it. any court in this country except the Supreme Court. Right. Now, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's true. And this is, I mean, he's not on trial per se, necessarily, but this is all, this is in a courtroom. Right. It's in a hearing room at the, ho- at the Western Hotel. It's the equivalent of a... And it's a hearing room. It's the equivalent mm-hmm. uh, of a courtroom. Mm-hmm. And it's as transparent or not as uh, the courts are everywhere else uh, in Canada. Um, you know, a lot of stuff is agreed to by the lawyers beforehand. If you have an agreed statement of fact uh, in this case, that's why there were so few witnesses. The, prosec- the prosecutor equivalent called only one witness. That is the young woman who was the complainant in the original sex assault trial. Uh, the defense lawyer for Judge Camp uh, called um, the three experts and Judge Camp. So, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, as it were. Right. Now, one of the, the, the points you picked up on, and it's not as though this information's been disclosed and you can't discuss it, but it's just that it really wasn't disclosed or followed up on. This this suggestion almost maybe that there's some some trauma that he experienced or something in his past that that shaped his views on these matters and it well, was yes well, yes explain that. the psychiatrist and the um uh superior court judge who mentored uh, uh judge camp both hinted at that the the judge said you know she told him off the top before she agreed to sort of mentor him that he was going to have to probably bear his soul and she said he did and the psychiatrist re- re- talked about the in very vague terms about the psychologist excuse me about the uh kind of uh experiences that might have been formative and led him to this kind of flawed thinking and but we're not allowed to even ask any questions about that uh, in the court or in the hearing room because 
of this uh, ban on, uh, it's, a, it's a prohibition stemming from a Supreme Court of Canada case, which says that nobody can ask a judge to explain his judicial reasoning. In other words, you can't say, why on earth would you have said that, Robin Camp? Why would you have put it that way? And he would be required, as any other witness would be, to say, well, you know, I... I had this experience as a young man, and it was a formative one, and I never got over it, or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you're not allowed. The lawyers aren't allowed, and it's a kind of a gentleman's agreement uh, because it's a legal principle. It's called McKeegan principle. So when do we so find it's out? Transparent, and yet it's not. Yeah. You know? When does the decision come down then? Oh, God knows. Uh, Monday, the lawyers will make their closing arguments, and uh, then I presume the inquiry committee will go off and reflect and mediate and at some point they'll come up with a recommendation to the whole Canadian Judicial Council as to whether uh, Justice Camp should lose his job or whether he should move on and if it were to be a, a recommendation for removal then it has to go to Parliament and usually what happens the CJC has twice before recommended that a judge be removed from office and before that happened uh, in both cases the judges resigned sparing themselves the indignity of removal. And in one case, at are, least, are those, securing yeah. attention still. <laughs> well, yeah, no kidding. Are, are those the only two options, that he, he stays where he is or he's fired? Is is there any demotion or to, to no, put him some, and nothing like that? No, it's it's one or the other. He mm-hmm. stay, he, does he stay or does he go? That's the, that's the choice. All right. Well, we'll know at some point. Uh, in the meantime, more at nationalpost.com and uh, I'm sure more uh, in tomorrow's paper. Christy, thanks for making some time for us here this afternoon. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Rob. All right. Take Bye-bye. care. Christy Blatchford, uh, reporter with the National Post. I was in town covering this, this hearing. So she says pretty rare that you have a judge removed from the bench. And uh, even the cases where it's happened before, technically the judges just resigned anyway. So does it meet that threshold here? As she said, it's one or the other. He's a federal court judge now. I just think given all the questions raised about his conduct and his knowledge of the law, anybody who goes before him and loses just automatically has an avenue of appeal there. How, you can't take this judge's word. This judge admitted uh, that he lacks knowledge of the law. But were his words enough, right? Because it's not just that he acquitted this guy. It was what he said about the victim or the alleged victim in this case, right? There's been no conviction of rape here. This guy's going to get a new trial. I think that's coming up uh, later this year. And maybe another judge will find this guy not guilty as well. But that doesn't necessarily, as Christy Blatchford said, vindicate Robin Camp. So what do we do with this guy? 974-8255, back with your calls right after this. Welcome back. So Robin Camp was pretty blunt on the stand today in terms of his own wrongdoing, in terms of uh, his his own inappropriate behavior. So very apologetic, very remorseful, right, that he did not act appropriately at all. So this is all him saying this. So I, I guess if you want to defend the judge, you're disagreeing with what he himself has said about how he handled this. But then again, he's the one fighting for his job. Maybe what else would we expect him to say? Let's go to the phones here. 974-8255 is a number. Uh, Cody has called in. Hi there, Cody. Hey. Uh, the, the both just said that it is a very 
gray zone case. It's a very difficult one to try. But would there would the verdict be the same if he hadn't made that comment? Like, would we still be looking at getting a retrial for this person if he didn't make this inappropriate comment after the fact? Of the fact that this guy's getting another trial. I, I think it's because the Crown appealed. I don't think it was, oh, wait, this judge said some inappropriate things. We'd better have a do-over here. I think it was the Crown appealing the verdict. But I think, in part, that appeal... In terms of the basis for the appeal, it's probably, yeah, that this judge made some grave errors, including some of the things he said. It kind of seems like if that's the case, they can't really use what he said as grounds for dismissal. I mean, everybody says inappropriate things. Yeah, I well, I think once example. this guy, well, that's true. I think once this guy in this case goes on trial again, I don't think anything Robin Camp said is really going to be relevant to the trial. It's about establishing what happened that night. No, and so it'll be about Camp the facts said, of the case. If if they're retrying or if they're now going into all this with Robin Camp over how the case went down, then they can't use what was said as part of that or vice versa. If it's because of what he said that they're now looking at this case, you know, it's like which one led to the other chicken or the egg sort of scenario. You know, are they looking at it because of what he said or are they using what he said because they're looking at it? No, yeah, I see where you're coming from, Cody. Now, I appreciate the phone call. I, I think really if, if the Crown's going to retry this case, they're going to have to basically make the same arguments they made the first time. That we believe this was rape and here's why. Call the same people, call the same witnesses, present the case the same way. And similarly, I suppose the defense will make the same arguments they made before. Right, And one of the, the key elements of that case, and Christy Blanchard pointed it out in one of her, her uh, columns on the matter, one of the witnesses called by the defense said that the alleged victim here had said to her shortly before this rape allegedly occurred that she was going to have sex with that guy. And so that was, as you can imagine, relatively significant testimony. So all of that's going to come into play in this new trial. I don't think anybody, I don't think the Crown, I don't think the defense is going to be invoking Robin Camp at all in this trial because it's not relevant to the facts of the case. Maybe one of the reasons why the case is being heard again. Uh, but the Crown can appeal acquittals. That's how it goes, right? You know, they have double jeopardy in, in the U.S. Once you're acquitted, you're acquitted. That's not how it works here. The Crown can appeal. And that's what they did here. Let's go back to the phones. Mike is called in. Hi, Mike. Well, Rob, these are very serious charges against the accused. And, you know, I think if the judge had any doubt about, the, about how weak or how strong the case of the victim was, mm -hmm. the alleged victim, I think he, he has a duty to give her every opportunity to provide any evidence in support of her claim. And I think uh, the questions that were posed by this judge, and I've done 500 trials, I've done hundreds of duty council matters in Ontario. Okay. Um, I would just say, if her case was failing, which it ultimately did, I think it was incumbent on the judge to be sure that this witness, the um, rape victim, accused rape victim, or alleged, that she had every opportunity to explain. So by him posing those questions, my view is that these were softball questions that, you know, they're, they sound insensitive, but they're softball questions to her that gave her that opportunity. 
they were a springboard for her to say, this fellow was much bigger than me. He slapped me around. He, uh, he, he was, you know, twice my size. He forced my legs apart. He, whatever he did. She could go into how traumatized she was. She was paralyzed. She couldn't think. But that's not what she well, did. Well, hang on. It's that's not, the, not what she said. It's not the judge's. Look, I'm the lawyer here, but it's not, it's, for some understand, it's not the judge's role you know to question the witnesses. Because there's uh, improper defense counsel. The judge was doing his job in this case. He was trying to make sure any fact in support of the prosecution came out for whatever reason. The prosecutor or the uh, defense counsel might not have been doing their job. I don't. I haven't so it's seen the a judge's role to ask the questions that the defense counsel should be asking. After, I assume this was after all their questioning was done. If the judge was in doubt, if he was going to throw the case out, I think it, it's only proper of him to give her any chance to give any other information in support of her claim. And his questions were nothing more than a springboard for her to provide that additional evidence. And if she didn't. We know what happened. The case was lost. Okay, and Mike, I appreciate the phone call. That that's an odd assertion to me. That the judge is just going to step in and, and question witnesses. But here we have a case where it's he said, she said. It's either consensual sex or it was sexual assault. So he asks her, "Why didn't you keep your knees together? Why didn't you sink to the bottom of the sink?" The accused couldn't penetrate you, he said. So it seems to be almost an admission then of those questions. Well, okay, but if it was rape, why didn't you try harder to stop it? Why didn't you do more to stop it? As opposed to, well, then why didn't you just leave the party or something along those lines? So they're very specific about what happened here. And in that sense, then that's what's so insensitive about it. Uh, Back to the phones we go. Let's get Joan's call in here. Hi, Joan. Hi. My, my comment is, and first of all, thank you for taking the call. My comment is that if he um, feels that way, and, and your guest said that we can't ask a judge what their thinking was, that, that they made those comments, and he is a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And lawyers know how to spin things. They can spin things uh, as they uh, to defend their clients. But what bothers me is that if he, if he goes back on the bench, and he shouldn't, uh, in my opinion, who knows if his opinions in the future will be unbiased, if that's his train of thought. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's, I, it's going to be hard for him to have that, that credibility that you need. I agree with you, Joan. I appreciate the phone call. You know, I'm not convinced he needs to be fired necessarily. I, I think he's, he's uh, in a whole lot of trouble of his own making. But even if he remains a judge, does he have the credibility that he needs to sit on the federal court? And does it give anybody who stands before this judge uh, a, a reason and an opportunity to question his competency or whether there's bias or whether he's even capable of, of handling the subject matter? It's an obvious avenue of appeal that anyone who stands before him would have. And so it's very problematic. So closing arguments in this hearing Monday, final decision at some point. We don't know when. Okay, we're going to take a break here. We'll come back, talk about minor hockey and the state of arenas, the number of arenas in uh, the city of Calgary, the situation in the southeast. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.